All right. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, you guys doing well? I heard Pastor Jesse over there. How's everybody else doing? You guys doing well? Good, good. Hey, there we go. Hey, if we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dan. I am one of the pastors here. If it's uh, your first time with us, I want to say a very special welcome to you. I will be outside uh, after service, so feel free to come up and, uh, and meet me. Um, as some of you do know, I have a medically fragile child, and so if I start to like do the dance and back up from you, I'm being very careful. It's like one of those awkward breakups. You know, it's not you, it's me. Okay, so, uh, but I'd love to meet you if it's your first time uh, with us. If you're watching online, very special welcome to you uh, as well. I am super excited to jump into the last um, sermon of our series called Hindsight. Throughout this series, we have been talking about what it means to work uh, past our past, to get through our sins and our mistakes, and to allow God to move us forward into the future that he has for us. Because so many of us get hung up on the mistakes that we have made or the mistakes that others have made. And we believe that God wants to use those things to propel us forward, not to hold us back and keep us where we are. We started this series out with uh, looking at regret and how when we make poor decisions, it brings up a sense of regret in each and every one of us. And we talked about how we should utilize that regret and that godly regret to allow that to propel us forward. And we talked about what it means to repent, to turn away from our sins and to change our actions if there's sin in our life. And then last week, Pastor Jesse walked us through Matthew chapter 18 where we looked at the process of reconciliation. And today I have the honor of walking us through the very last kind of step of this long journey and this long process uh, called restore. What does it look like when we actually walk through the reconciliation process to become restored? There's lots of R words uh, in here, so if I mess them up, please be gracious. Um, but today we're looking at restore. So you might be thinking to yourself, okay, wait a second, is there an actual difference between reconciliation? And restoration, yes, reconciliation is the process that we go through when there's been a fracture within a relationship, but restoration is the process, or not the process, it's the place that we arrive to after we've gone through that reconciliation process of being a whole and being renewed. See, we don't talk about reconciliation and, and restoration enough, in my opinion, See, we hear a lot about failures. There's pastors that fail out of ministry. We probably know friends that have, uh, we have friends in our friend group that have, have uh, gone through something and they're no longer uh, connected. We know of marriages that have fallen apart and separations that are in the process. And those things are very heartbreaking. But we also want to celebrate when restoration has taken place. The last couple of weeks, we've been watching a video uh, by I Am Second, uh, I encourage you to check out their website. They've got a lot of cool testimonies, a lot of cool things that God has done and stories of things that God has done in people's lives. But we looked at a story of a guy named Jamel and then a, a cop named Andrew. And to sum up that story briefly, Andrew was a cop who was doing some shady things that he should not have been doing, falsifying reports and, and stealing evidence and doing all these crazy things. And, and Jamel just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he got arrested and, this big issue happened. Jamel spent all this time in prison. Andrew ended up getting found out for all the mistakes that he had made. But through that story, we see that reconciliation had taken place and that they were in a place of restoration, not only with just God, but with each other. These two guys had, had reconciled and become friends and they had actually were living life together. And we want to celebrate those things, even in this room 
There are some broken relationships and broken friendships, but there's also friendships and relationships in this room this morning that have gone through the reconciliation process and have found themselves in a place of being restored, and we want to continually celebrate that. You see, relationships are a beautiful thing, and relationships are a funny thing because you take two completely unique individuals, whether they're family members, whether they're just friends, or whether it turns into this romantic relationship, you take two individuals and you, you put them together, and what you get is this very unique, special, and intimate relationship. Again, whether that's family members or a friendship or, or otherwise, it's very unique, and what tends to happen through that is somewhere along the way, there's a fracture. Somewhere along the way, there's a mistake that's made. There's feelings that get hurt. We've all been there. But in extreme cases, that severs the relationship. That reconciliation process that Pastor Jesse talked about that we see in Matthew 18, we have to go through that with that person, and we find ourselves in a place of being restored because, again, that's always the goal of reconciliation. Think of it like this. Think of it like an old classic car, 1950s, 1960s. What happens is the, the factory takes all these random parts and they put them all together to make this beautiful beast of a machine, right? Because most cars in the 50s and 60s are just, they're 40 feet long. It was just part of the whole thing. And what happens is someone purchases that car. They bring that car home and somewhere along the way, something happens. Whether it's a mechanical issue, a car accident, life and neglect just happen. And over time and years and decades, that car ends up in someone's garage, or it ends up behind their house, or it ends up in a field somewhere. And that car is, is, is junked. It's rusted, it's ugly, it's beat up. It's junked, and it needs to be restored. The way that a car sits when it's junked probably isn't worth very much, but restored, the car can be worth a whole lot more. See, I say this not to brag, but I do want to just kind of share something that I'm very proud of. Uh, I am the proud owner of a 1959 Cadillac Coupe de Ville. It's a beautiful car. Go ahead and put it up there. It's a beautiful car. That's not what my Cadillac looks like. This is what my Cadillac looks like. Right there. That's what my Cadillac looks like. Now, where it sits, it's worth about $7,000. When it's restored, they sell for up near $175,000. See, with that car, that specific car, my Uncle Attilio, he purchased that car brand new. Yes, I said Uncle Attilio, I am Italian. If you didn't know that based on my, the size of my nose, my love of carbohydrates, I am Italian. <laughs> so my Uncle Attilio, he purchases this Cadillac brand new in 1959. And somewhere along the way, he passes it off to my Uncle Steve. Then it gets passed on to my grandfather. And my grandfather, somewhere along the way in his journey, ended up parking it behind his house. It got neglected. It was this beautiful, beautiful machine, and it got neglected. And now it's this rust bucket that my son and I have on our list to remodel and to restore. You see, restored cars, they're rare because they're expensive to work on. They take a lot of effort. Most of them look like that. A 60-year-old car, most of them look like junk, and they've been trashed. But they take a lot of work and intentional effort and blood, sweat, and tears to get them back to a place that where, of where they once were. And the same is true for our restored relationships. If you've ever gone to therapy, you know that it's expensive. 
there's ever been a fracture in a friendship or in a romantic relationship or with a, a family member, you know that there's a lot of work and intentionality that have to go into repairing whatever that fracture was that took place in that relationship. But once we've done that, once we've gone through the work, once we've gone through the repenting and the reconciliation, we find, we find ourselves at a place of restoration within that relationship, that uh, restoration needs to be maintained. It needs to be maintained just like this car. If my son and I put in all the effort and energy and work into that car, but we don't maintain it, it's going to end up in the same exact place. It's going to be neglected. It needs, it needs oil. It needs tires. It needs brakes. It needs belts. It needs all kinds of things on a regular and consistent basis to make sure that it is being maintained. And the same is true for our relationships that are currently living uh, in restoration. If we don't maintain them, they can find themselves fractured once again if we're not careful. And one of the main ways that we maintain this state of restoration within our relationships is learning how to grow in love. We've got to learn how to grow in love. Jesus is asked this question by some of the Pharisees. They, they try to challenge him. They say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments, what's the most important? And Jesus says, to love your God, and the second's just like it, and that's to love people. Jesus is very clear about what it is. It's a very simple concept, but it's not easy to execute in real life. Paul outlines for us what that actually looks like in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And so many of you, if you've been to church before, if you've been to a wedding before, you've heard this passage. You've heard a lot of these passages probably today. But I want to encourage you to not let your knowledge and understanding of these passages somehow remove the power of how God wants to use them in your life today. Because I believe that if we look at this verse in a different way, we're going to learn a few things. This is what Paul tells us. He says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. We've all heard that. Most of us have heard it. I don't want to speak in absolutes, but a lot of us have heard that passage before. And I want us to recognize that Paul is not giving us a list of feelings here. He's not telling us this is what love feels like, everybody, so make sure you feel all these ways inside. That's not what he's talking about. He's actually giving us a list of what love looks like in action. This is a list of choices for us to make, not a list of things for us to feel about those around us. We have to choose to do these things. He gives us a list of six things that love is and eight things that love isn't. And their choices, their decisions to make in the heart of the restored person, the heart of the restored relationship is focused on this area of continually growing and maturing in love. I've got a family member who, for the sake of conversation today, we're going to refer to her as Mary. So Mary, as long as I can remember, has always had addiction issues when it comes to pills, alcohol, all kinds of other things. And as you can imagine, with uh, an addictive personality and some addiction issues that she was dealing with, 
there were a lot of things that came with that and a lot of struggles and challenges that, has come, that have come with that. There was a lot of theft that was happening for a while and there were DUIs that were taking place, totaled cars, jail time. She got kicked out of a few places to live. Uh, a, big, a big hot mess is the best way to say it for a lot of years. Now, through all of that, Mary has, has changed some of those ways. She has adjusted uh, her life. She's leaning into the Lord, and we want to be thankful, and, and we want to thank the Lord for that. But she expressed regret and went through this element of, of repentance and changing of her ways, and we reconciled, and we are currently living in a state of restoration. But truth be told, I have had to learn to grow in love. I've had to learn to intentionally be more kind and more trusting and more patient and to not be easily angered or frustrated. I'm sure each one of you can think of somebody in your life where there's been a a major fracture in that relationship or not. You can think of somebody in your life that you love, that you have care and compassion for, that they just bug the snot out of you. You love them, but you don't like them all the time. We need to learn to grow in this area of love. Along with growing our hearts, it takes our minds as well. We need to learn to take our thoughts captive if we want to remain in a state of restoration in our relationships. Just like we choose to restore a car, just like we choose to execute on these list of love actions that Paul gives us, we need to choose to take our thoughts captive as well. See, when somebody has wronged us, when somebody has has done something wrong to us, or when we've done something wrong to somebody else, some of us find ourselves in that place where we ruminate and we think about the situation over and over again. It's like, if I would have just done this different, if I would have just said that, well, if they would have just done X, Y, and Z instead of A, B, and C, we wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. And some of us, it keeps us up at night. Some of us have the ability to just emotionally shut all that off and cut those people out of our lives. But when something bad happens to us, we can tend to ruminate and continue to think on those things. Now, even after we've gone through the reconciliation process and have found ourselves in a place of restoration, we can still be triggered when something comes up. Something can still happen that reminds us of the hurt that we caused or the hurt that somebody caused us. If there's somebody that you know that you have, have, uh, have always kind of, um, you know, you've, well, let, let, me, let me back up a little bit. In my personal situation, in my personal situation with Mary, what I tend to experience a lot of the time is because for so many different years, I would get a phone call and Mary was, was in jail or, or needed money or there was a car accident or something. I find myself even now at a place where when the phone rings or somebody from, if someone from Mary's family calls me, I get, I get kind of these, these, you know, these triggers inside and my thoughts automatically go to the worst case scenario. They automatically go to, oh great, is somebody in jail again? Did somebody wreck another car? Is this, am I gonna have to go bail this person out? All of those thoughts come up into my head and it's in those moments that we need to learn to take our thoughts captive and believe the best about the other person and even believe the best about ourselves if we're having thoughts and struggling with some decisions that we have made and mistakes and sins that we have committed against other people. And some of you may be thinking right now, like, hey, look, like, yeah, it's great. Like, we take our thoughts captive. That's cool. I get it. 
think like Jesus, love like Jesus, two thumbs up, but you have no idea, Dan. You have no clue like what I've actually been through. I could never forget the way that that person treated me. I live with my mistakes on a daily basis. I have reminders in my life every single day of the sins and the mistakes that I have made. There's no way that I'm just gonna forget about those things. There's no way I can't think about those things on a consistent basis. I can't forget what has happened. I resonate with that, and there's truth to that, and there's good news in that. Because nowhere in scripture does it tell us that there's some form of requirement of having some sort of lapse or loss of actual memory. We don't need to have a blank memory of the sins that we have committed or the sins that have been committed against us. In fact, in fact, it can actually be a good thing for us to remember the mistakes that we have made and the mistakes that others have made. Now, before you get all up in arms, hear me out for just one second. It's, I need to be very clear about this. It's important for us to remember some of the things that took place in our lives, not to dwell on them, but to have God and to allow God to use those things in our lives to shape us and to shift us. Here's what I mean by that. It's a good thing, and it can be a good thing for us to remember the mistakes that we've made. Psychologists all agree that, that the reason, one of the reasons that we even have a memory is to store knowledge and understanding. And when we store knowledge and understanding, that is fueled by our experiences and the things that we go through in life. And our memory actually helps us to duplicate the good things that we experience in our lives and to avoid and minimize the bad things in our lives. So science talks about this and how it's important. Pastor Jesse talked about last week when it comes to reconciliation, remembering some of the things that somebody has done in our lives. Why? To help us set boundaries in our lives. Not to hold it against somebody, not to dwell, not to hang an issue or a mistake over somebody else's head, but to allow us to set boundaries. If you've loaned somebody in your family money multiple times and they have not paid you back, you need to use that information that you have gained to help you set some healthy boundaries of either A, not loaning money, or B, when you do loan money, just remind yourself, this is not a loan, this is a gift, because I'm not getting this money back. In my own life and with, with my family's relationship with Mary, we don't hold her past mistakes against her, but we know and we understand that those things have taken place, and so we've set up some boundaries. And because there has been a lot of, of drinking and driving, our, our kids don't get in a car with Mary. That's a boundary that we have set, not to dwell on the mistakes that she has made, not to hold it over her head, but to learn and to grow. Our own sins and mistakes, it can be important for us to remember those as well. Paul talks about this. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's reminding Timothy about who he used to be. He's saying, Timothy, I used to be a blasphemer. I used to be a persecutor. I used to be a violent, violent man. Paul's writing about himself, talking about the mistakes and the sins that he has made. But then we see in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, this is what he says. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal uh, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So wait a second, is Paul contradicting himself here? 
Is Paul contradicting himself by saying, like, look, this is who I was, but I'm forgetting, like, my past? See, it's important for us to understand that he actually wrote the letter to the Philippians first and talked about forgetting. Then he wrote his letter to Timothy, reminding Timothy, showing us that he clearly hasn't forgotten about his sins. And when he uses this phrase of forgetting what is behind, the word that he uses means to neglect or not to mention. So I want us to, to, to understand this and to wrap our heads around this idea that it's not about forgetting. It's about redirecting. It's about knowing where we've come from, not to dwell on those things, but to allow those things and allow God to use those things to propel us into a place of spiritual maturity so that we reflect Christ more and more on a regular basis. We're not going to forget some of the things that people have done to us. We're not going to forget some of the things that we have done. But again, they are meant to help us, uh, to, to help us per- be propelled in the direction that God has called us, not to dwell and, and just hold those things over our own heads with guilt and with shame or hold them over somebody else's head. Paul then says this in the very next chapter in his letter to the Philippians. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying be intentional about what you think about. He's not saying, oh, live in this like euphoria of like nothing bad ever happens and like don't, you forgot everything. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about choosing to fix our minds on the right things. We need to set boundaries if we've gone through this reconciliation process because there's been a, a fracture in one of our relationships, we need to go through that. But at the end of all of that, we need to choose to set our minds on the right things, believing the best about the other person as well as believing the best about ourselves. This is why we need to take our thoughts captive. And when we get a hold of our, our thoughts and when we allow our hearts to grow in love, those things should result in a change of action. This should result in a change of action. Pastor Scott talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at what it meant to, to truly repent, to turn away from our sins and go ahead in the opposite direction of the mistakes that we've been making. That's what we talked about. And I think today in, in 2021, so many of us are so self-aware. And this has to go beyond self-awareness. Counseling is, is widely accepted now more than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Therapy, those things are encouraged nowadays. Personality profiling and all these different tests, those things 10, 15 years ago weren't even thought of. And now, like, before you get a job, they want to know every, like, what's your Myers-Briggs? What's your, what's your this? What's your that? Like, how tall are you? What's, they want to know everything about your personality, and they expect you to be self-aware. But when it comes to changing our actions and our attitude, it goes so much farther than just self-awareness. Have you ever met somebody that maybe they have no filter and they just tend to say everything that they're thinking, everything that comes out of their mouth? We all know people, I'm I'm that guy, I tend to do that. I kind of say things and then I think about them. It's gotten me into trouble a lot, but it's something that I'm intentionally working on, intentionally trying to grow in. But if you ever met somebody who does that, and you're like, hey, as a close friend, you're like, hey, look, like, I, you know, I, I love you, but like, I need you to understand, like, you say some things sometimes that you shouldn't. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, like, I, I know, I know. 
And you're like, okay, what are you doing to like work on that? They're like, nothing. I just, I need you to know that this is my issue so you can work around it. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make any sense for us. We have to go far beyond self-awareness and we have to take action steps to change. Because so many of us end up using uh, self-awareness as an excuse to fail. This is just who I am. Shape up or ship out. This is who I am. This is my personality. And when we go through a process of self-awareness and we start to learn and understand some things about ourselves, we have three options. Once we've identified a problem in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own actions, we can avoid it, we can cope with it, or we can fix it. Those three things, those are our options. Avoiding it, to me, is one of the most frustrating things. When I recognize an issue in my life, I want to. I want to tackle it. I don't like avoiding problems. It's just not a thing for me. Some of us just cope with it, and we try to like, work around it and you know, like, do our best. But we need to try to fix it. Now, I understand not all of our issues and problems are solvable or fixable. My parents got divorced when I was seven. I'm 38. I'm scarred from that. I don't think they're going to get back together. It's just an assumption. God can do all things, but I don't think that's a thing that he's going to do. <laughs> we can't fix all of our problems, but when we identify that we do have something that we can work on, that we can grow in, that we can change, we actually need to take action to change it. Remember, reconciliation is the process that we go through when we've sinned or when we've failed. But to be restored, the actions or the sins that had taken place to cause that fracture in that relationship, those things need to stop. They need to change, whether it's in our lives or in the lives of the person um, that, that we're in the relationship with. See, sometimes when we talk about change, it requires a change in our environment. Maybe it's a change at work or a change in relationship status or change of friends, things like that. Now, there's the obvious changes in environments. When it comes to Mary in my life, what she does is she doesn't go and hang out at bars. She doesn't do that. She can't do that. For her, it's, it's too much of a struggle. It's too much of an issue. She's made that very obvious change in her environments to be able to shift her actions and the way that she lives. Now, I'm not a person who speaks in absolutes, but sometimes we need to change our environments. And for you, if, if you are a person that you're like, yeah, you know what, I'm at this job and, and it's terrible and like this message, God is just speaking to me, right? I just need to, I need to quit my job, I think. And it's like, well, hold up there, cowboy. Look, if you have had 14 jobs in two years, it's probably not the job that needs to change. It's probably not the job that needs to change. There's probably something within you. Again, I know circumstances come up, but I want you to understand something. I want you to understand. I've said this quote before, and it's one of my favorite quotes from Pastor Rick Warren. He says, sometimes the circumstances that we're praying for God to change are the same circumstances that God wants to use in our lives to change us. And before we, before we start saying, hey, I need to change my environment, I need to change my relationship status, most of the time when those changes come, they're coming out of a place of not being self-aware. Because we're not looking inside at what God wants to do in us. We start looking and blaming everything external. Everything that's external. And we're like, man, if I, could, if I could just shift this in my life, if I could just shift that, change jobs, change relationships, move cities, then all of my problems will go away. Not at all. When we're looking to make any sort of external type shift or change in our environment, those things should be coming from a place of emotional and spiritual health. 
They need to be coming from a place of spiritual and emotional maturity. So to maintain this state of restoration, we need to learn what it means to to grow in love, to take our thoughts captive, and to change our actions. But none of those things are going to happen. None of those things are going to happen unless we're seeking God daily. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew 4, he says that man, uh, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus didn't just say this. Jesus actually did this. We see time and time again where Jesus breaks away from the crowds, breaks away from the disciples to go and spend time with his Father in heaven. And he was the son of the living God, and he needed to do it. Why would we think it's any different for us? Jesus needed to stay connected, but we got this, right? There is no way that we're going to be able to maintain or stay in a relationship that has been through a reconciliation process and is now living a restored, uh, or being restored. We're never going to be able to maintain that or stay in that without seeking God on a regular basis. And this is cheesy, but just like, just like a car needs gas to run, we need to figure out where we're getting our source of power. Is it, from, is it from spending time with the Lord? Is it from laying our hearts down at the foot of the cross on a regular basis? Or are we trying to do it on our own power? Having a lot of self-discipline and be, being strong-willed, these are good things. Listening to podcasts, reading books, going to counseling, getting support from friends, all good things. These are all good things. They're great things, in fact. But they're not a substitute for spending time with Jesus. They're tools that God can use in our lives, but they're not a substitute for God in our lives. If we want to maintain these relationships, living, restored, it takes a lot of effort and energy. It takes a lot of intentional work. Our ability to be able to grow in love to take our thoughts captive and to change our actions, they don't come from our own strong will. They come from spending time with the Lord. My encouragement to you today is if you don't have these disciplines in your life, that you would start even now. What does it look like to read one verse a day? What does it look like to read one chapter a day? What does it look like to pray every single day on your way to work? What does it look like to start disciplining yourself on a regular basis to set aside 10, 15, 30, an hour, spending time with God on a regular basis, staying connected with him. That's my encouragement to you today. Throughout this entire series, our prayer is that you would learn what it means to really get past your past by doing what you can, but also getting out of God's way and allowing him to do what only he can do in your life. As I wrap up this message this morning and as we wrap up this series, I want to ask you a couple of questions and I really want you to kind of contemplate this as we kind of finish out our service here over the next couple of minutes. What relationships are coming to mind as we talk through this? What are the relationships that you know? Maybe it's a neighbor, a family member. What relationships do you know need to be restored? What relationships do you know that that you need to repent because of the way that you've been acting toward that person? There's a reconciliation process. Maybe there's somebody in here they haven't talked to their sister for years. Maybe there's somebody in here who just has tension and beef with a coworker. Doesn't matter the, the size of the issue on the scale. 
The question is, what are you doing about it? And the last thing I want to ask is, are you learning or are you, are you trying to, to, to repair that relationship? Are you trying to find yourself in a place of restoration in your life and in that relationship on your own power? Are you thinking, I got this. I just got to choose to be a good person and we're good. Or are you going to God regularly? Are you laying your heart, your life, this situation along with other situations down before him and allowing him to fully take control? I want you to think about those questions as we close in prayer here. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, God, your word, for convicting me, God, through the study of this message, God, reminding me of areas in my life that I need to grow, relationships in my life that I need to uh, really lean into this process. God, I thank you for that. And I thank you for what you're doing right now in the hearts and the lives of everybody in this room and everybody online. God, you're speaking to somebody today. God, and I pray that even right now, you would start to show them the areas of their life, their actions, their thoughts, the way that they're choosing to love that person or those people. Pray that you would use this message to convict us, God. Again, not so that we feel guilty, but to propel us into a place of, of being matured into the person that you've called us to be. If you're in this place and you hear my voice and, and you are thinking to yourself that now is the time that you want to jump into this faith journey with Jesus, just say this prayer with me in the quietness and the stillness of your own heart. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, God. I need you in my life. From this day forward, God, I want to serve you and I want you to be the Lord of my life. And if you've been walking for G with Jesus for years, I pray that none of these verses would just ring familiar in your ear. I pray that, the, that God will use them in your heart and in your life to affect and impact change. God, we love you. We thank you. I pray that you would bring us all back here safely next week. And may we do our best to model what it means to live restored in you and restored in our relationships. In your name I pray, amen.